when you listen, you're not invisible. On the contrary, you're actually the one who sets the tone. I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. We are only at the beginning of learning about the potential of listening and what is possible. What we do know is that high quality listening has a lot of power, a lot of power to impact challenging conversations, employee engagement, and even employee turnover and burnout. Enjoy this conversation with Guy Ichakov, whose research focuses on high quality listening as an avenue for growth at individual and organizational levels. Guy is an associate professor in the Department of Human Services at University of Haifa, and we dive into current listening research and open questions. This episode is a conversation of discovery in our journey of understanding the power of listening from both a science and a practitioner perspective. Enjoy listening in. You were on a guest a couple of years ago, and that was a really fun podcast. And so for those of you who have not listened to that one yet, we'll we'll put that in the notes so you can listen to it again. And we were talking about the power of listening circles and the impact of, of doing listening circles in organizations and how listening impacted teams also under high pressure uh, circumstances. And I know that you've done quite a bit since we spoke last. I'd love to dive into what has happened since then. Last time when we also spoke, you talked about how you got into listening, when you realized the power of listening and how your research switched and and where you dove deeper into it. If you look back at the last couple of years, what are you discovering about listening that maybe you didn't realize before? Well, depending. If you ask my wife, she'll tell you it became worse. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. Actually, I was talking to a prospective graduate student recently. I had So I had this conversation with a prospective student and I decided that instead of, instead of telling him, okay, this is what, if you want to do a thesis with me, this is the project that I'm interested in. I actually listened to him about his experience and I started asking him questions where uh, what is, are the things that he's interested in? I didn't say anything on my part with regard to listening. I did have an idea of what I want him to do. But as the conversation progressed, I became aware through his insights that there is a much more interesting idea. And he was he was actually very impressed with what this is the first time I talked to, you know, a professor and, and he asks me more questions than, you know, tell me. But, but for me, it was, I, I did have 
you know, in my mind, something I wanted him to do. But after he shared his experiences and he's working in the field, I changed my mind about the idea that I, you know, we, we actually, I went with his idea rather than the initial intention that I have for, for the topic. So it was, again, I, I've seen it, not the first time I've seen it, but when, you know, when I'm in the listener side, it's, it's, it's very impactful that even when you think you have something good, like a good idea, don't take the other person for granted. Like when you listen well, you, you, you might realize you're wrong and there mm-hmm. is a much better option. And so this was a, this is the most recent and, and, and meaningful experience of listening. And, and I wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have come to this realization if I hadn't listened well in this conversation. You know, and that's also, you're listening from this more power position, from a more leadership position. And it could be in that moment of you asking him questions that things came up even more than what he had originally thought of in the beginning. Too. Yeah, exactly. He, he didn't have anything in mind before. Like he didn't know what he wants to do. It's not like he came with an agenda. He, through his experiences, we started, he started to come up and we started thinking together. And I remember us taking us back to a memory lane. I did a little prototype with a group of people called A Taste of Listening and invited you to be a part of that. And I believe that was one of the first times you did the online listening, didn't you? I think it was, yes. (laughs) I remember you were surprised. (laughs) Yeah, I was positively surprised. I was actually a skeptic in the beginning because all the studies I've conducted prior to the pandemic were in person. And, you know, when the pandemic caught me in a very difficult place because I just started my position at the university and I had a lab and I was, there are researchers who can, who don't need to bring, they can continue working without bringing people um, in person to the lab, but you cannot do it with listening. You have to have these conversations. And I was really concerned, like how, what will I do now? Because, you know, the social distancing, quarantines, there is so much that can, disturbances, potential disturbances. But yeah, after being um, in, in your workshop and, and, and seeing it, and this is how I learned the most when, 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 when I experienced it, and the data that we started gathering, collecting, I've turned from a skeptic to a believer in, in the sense of listening through um, online. What are the differences between the in person and the online that you're noticing? So one, one key difference is that the visibility in, in uh, online listening, so you cannot see at least half of the, the person that you're communicating with. And we know that many of the behaviors that speakers convey or a lot of what the speakers are saying is not in the words, but in the in the body posture, in the movements, in the nonverbal behavior. And these are not visible when you have, and many of them are not visible when you have, you know, when, when, when you're communicating online. So this is one difference that was, was actually a concern for me at the beginning. However, there are also another difference, which is an advantage, is that I think that there is something, I, and it is again, I have, I did not, tested it, but when people are in their home or in their safe environment, it might be 
I'm, I'm being cautious here, but that they are more comfortable to communicate or there is less, if we think, for example, about a meeting where you have a meeting at the workplace and you have the manager sitting and the, and the top, not the top, but one corner of the, the round the, of, of, of the table, you have less hierarchy in an online discussion, even in a dyadic encounter that I think might make people more comfortable. Another uh, difference is that when you listen online, usually you see yourself. And this, I think, is a disturbance because you're very aware of how of your looks. And it's like, it's like talking to the mirror. And I'm saying it because this is actually, I think, the second straight interview that I'm giving where... I cannot see now. Now I cannot see you. We're only communicating through audio. Um, I, I did it a few weeks ago when I was asked to uh, give some uh, a research summary for a TED um, a podcast that is going to air soon about for for kids. And they were were saying that you know it was in the end of the day, and they said that the interviewer said we prefer to do it without without video. And I was actually, it was easier to talk when it's like talking while closing your eyes. Yeah. So and now I feel it as well. It could be because I know you and we have, you know, we're, we know each other for a while and I'm comfortable. But even with the other interviewer, it was the first time we've met. So this is another a question that popped into my head. Like what happens when you have video on versus when you don't have your video on? So. I may be deviating from the topic, but it's another open question that, at least from my experience, I find it more relaxing when there is no video because I'm I'm less aware, I think, more relaxed, more free to really delve deeper into what I say mm-hmm. without the disturbances. Well, I have noticed that you know, so, so far I have not done video podcasts every so often, if this doesn't work, we'll move over to zoom or something with video. But for the most part, I have found that unless a person is very experienced in front of a camera, that most people are more relaxed if there's no camera and they prefer that at least from my experience so far. It's interesting though, how they, because you, with regard to the listener, you, you cancel out all the nonverbal behaviors of the listeners. Mm-hmm. So it's an, you know, it's an interesting comparison. I'm sorry that I'm thinking out loud maybe on a future no. research. but um, <laughs> I think it would be really yeah. interesting. And the funny thing is when you said you were speaking like with your eyes closed, at that very moment when you said that, I was actually listening with my eyes closed. Yeah. yeah. And I noticed that also sometimes, now, so now I'll think out loud. You know, here in Germany, when I, sometimes when I, was in a situation where I had to listen to German and really concentrate and understand. It was I could do that easier if I closed my eyes than if I had yeah. my eyes open to be able to understand the person. And I'm not yeah. sure why, <laughs> but I noticed yeah. that. I had a similar experience. It might be, by the way, that the nonverbal behavior that we miss because of the lack of um, visibility can be achieved through the verbal channel. So, for example, if after uh, several minutes that the speaker shared the content, the listener asks a question that reflects understanding or provides a reflection. If we're talking about listening perception, I think it will, it will, it will be enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
I might deviate it from the topic, but this is this is actually one of the of the many differences that I realized that there exists between in person and online. And I think we over the past it's almost three years now, we got more we got used to the online conversations rather than in person. I think uh, now even when most of the border restrictions have been lifted, people are still uh, doing most, if not, if many, if not most of their communication, I think, and then I'm just, I'm, I might be wrong here, but through, you know, through uh, computers, through Zoom, mm-hmm. uh, other platforms. So, Yeah, I think I, that in-person has a certain sense of connection, you know, it's like you feel like that human side and there's, there's probably other senses that are working, what you smell, what you see, you know, what the 3D part, and yet you know, you can spend probably 80% of your time online and have that 20% in person just to do that extra level of connection. But work to be done can be done online. And I will share with you, I think just like whether you're in person or whether you're online, that being present and being paying attention is probably the largest influencer on whether people connect or not, whether it's effective listening or not. That, that would be my assumption. Because I noticed that Sometimes when I'm doing, well, often when I'm doing trainings, I'll ask people to, you know, be fully present and try to remove as many distractions. And if they do, something does come up that they go do it and then let people know and then come back and be fully present with us. And the feedback that comes often is that they realize how much they enjoy that versus multitasking when they're in meetings. They're surprised. Another, by the way, interesting insight, you ask what I learned. Another interesting insight that I recently learned through a thesis of one of my students is, I'll give, I'll, I'll give a bit of context. You know that I've been focusing most on how, how speakers are affected by being listened to. And not only me, but most researchers have relatively neg- listening research relatively neglected the side of the listening. And we ran a study in the year that just ended about listening and positive emotions, but positive emotions that are related to connection. It's called the Kamamuta. It's a very interesting construct uh, from actually from, uh, it's, it's from the work of Dr. Ellen Fisk from UCLA. And it talks about like positive feeling through shared connection. And in this study, we had 500 participants and we asked them to recall an experience where they were either in the listener role or speaker role. And when they talked about a meaningful, positive experience, so we tested both sides, both the speaker and the listener. And we also had different listening qualities. So we, for example, we had six conditions. So. And we randomly assigned participants for, for example, if you if you spoke to someone, spoke to recall an experience when you when you talk to someone about a positive and meaningful experience to you, and they listen really well to you. In another condition, they listen moderately or they listen poorly. And the same thing we did for listeners. When you listen well, you listen moderately or you listen poorly. So we, it is one of the first projects where we are looking at the listener side and I expected that this construct that Kamamuta has five dimensions. So it has dimension of connection and positive emotions and physiological responses. 
And interestingly, the effects were stronger. So of course we had we found that listening quality, of course, had a very strong effect on all the dimensions. But the more interesting finding to me was that although not by a large difference, but that actually listeners, listeners when they listen to a positive experience well, felt positive emotions to a higher extent than their speakers. Huh. This, so it wasn't a large difference, but even, you know what, even if it was the same, I would still be surprised because I thought it, the speakers are the ones who benefit the most. And then I had a few conversations with coaches and I have a new graduate student who's also a consultant and also a coach. And they told me yeah, when we are, when we really connect with another person and we, we listen well, we get excited even sometimes more than they do from hearing their story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was new for me because this is why I think it's very interesting looking at the more on the listener side and that the listener can actually benefit more or even to a, to a similar extent from listening well. I think this is very interesting. And if you can replicate it, I think it would be a very interesting finding. Well, so when you, so one of, the things that I do or that I've started, I've done the last few years and I feel like it has more impact on the listening training and also on some of the listening training that you've measured is that I have them share stories with each other just for a couple minutes, you know, following um, the storytelling carousel, some of those stories. And afterwards, when we bring people back from the breakout rooms into the room, I'll have them just pause and pay attention to how they physically feel from that interaction and maybe notice if there's emotions or, you know, if they were paying, yeah. if they were really paying attention or not. And I mean, the role of the listener is just to be really curious, you know, but people are usually surprised at the interaction and they notice a difference whether, when they were trying to listen versus when they were thinking of their own story and what they would say next. <laughs> so mm. probably what you're saying now is when you, when they are really doing this effective listening, when they're really paying attention, then they have a lot more benefit. Yeah, yeah, and this is actually one of the um, one of the challenges we've been facing facing in listening experiments. So I, for the past three years, I've been doing I've been using researchers using is not a good word. I've been working with research assistants that we train in listening. They receive a, more than ten hours of training to do both high quality and moderate quality listening condition, and we get strong effects. We are able to replicate them. However, the studies are take very long or very lengthy. For example, I, I, I've just finished running a study that took 13 months, which was, is crazy in a researcher's lifetime because it was two confederates on one participant. But more importantly, we are still, or I'm still unable or haven't tried for the, since I didn't succeed um, in the past to create difference in, 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 in listening perception by giving lay people instructions. And this is a challenge that I would really be interested in resolving because it impacts my entire research agenda. You know, when, when you need to have trained confederates for each study, it takes, first of all, it costs a lot and it takes much longer. And 
And actually, it's an important theoretical question. So you talked about like it's like a different mindset. So like a learning mindset versus a self-centered mindset, which makes sense theoretically. But like how? I'm sure there is a way, but I I still haven't figured it out empirically mm-hmm. how to create such a like instruction that would work well. You know, I guess one of the questions I have, and I don't know if this is, maybe this fits along with part of your question. I I wonder if people can discover what effective listening is without explaining it to them, but giving them an experience instead, like facilitating an experience. And if through that, they understand the qualities of listening somehow. This is a question that I have, and I've played around with. I've been playing around with, but I don't have it being tested. <laughs> I don't have enough people yeah. for you to test yet. But that would be something I wonder if it's possible. I agree. I, I've tried in one study, I've tried like a really high dose of instructions. They had, I agree also because I, I think I eliminated most of the other options. For example, in one study that I ran with a colleague, the colleague in University of Toronto, we actually wrote to them what is good listening and then they wrote their strategy, how they would listen well versus a control condition, and we found nothing. So I think, Mm. I really agree with you. If I experience good listening, I might not even need to know because it takes time to learn. It's like riding a bicycle. You won't learn it from reading a book about it. You learn Mm. by practicing it. So I agree. And and one day I'm sure that not too long from now, I'm going to test it. (laughs) Well, after, after we're done here on the recording, Maybe I can give you some thoughts of what I've been trying out and see okay. if it might be <laughs> sure. might be interesting for you. Because one of the things is with your empirical, re- you know, you have the numbers, the data that you're measuring. And then what's interesting then is also to get the feedback from participants from the workshops, you know, some of their stories or their examples or what they experience, the questions that come up, you know, their takeaways. And that's where I think, oh yeah, you know what? Maybe having them experience it. And then usually what they say after in terms of their experience really fits what you're finding in the in the research of yeah. what really works. Yeah. But I think that reflection time is really important. Also with others, because one person might remember one recognize one thing and another person might recognize something else. Exactly. Um, yeah. So guy. You have been doing some so sorry during the pandemic, oh, there's been this aspect of depression and loneliness has really been heightened and and there's a lot of more a need in organizations and with people you know when it comes to get, needing psychologists and mental health people who work in the mental health area it's a there's a huge demand i've seen this you know also here in germany and us you know you hear this all around it's probably the same in israel i don't know if you're having that same experience but you have been find having some interesting research testing the impact of listening on loneliness and i'd love to hear more about that so it's a project we published recently together with my colleagues, uh, Netta Weinstein and uh, Moti Amor and my graduate student, Boris Salouk. Uh, part of this was part of her MA thesis or her MA thesis was part of this project. Um, and, what, and, and our research question was whether being listened to can reduce a speaker's loneliness when they talk about being socially rejected. So we measured state loneliness, so loneliness in the moment. And what are the mechanisms? We actually started this project before the pandemic, so we had one in-person 
study that Neta ran in, in the UK. And then we replicated it here with through Zoom after the pandemic started with Israeli participants. So basically, the participants would wrote an experience where they felt social rejection. For example, some wrote, many of them wrote about their childhoods and or being rejected by a romantic partner or a group of friends or at work. Very interesting examples. And then we randomly assigned them to talk about this experience that they wrote with a confederate, a research assistant that exhibited either high-quality listening condition, constant eye contact, providing reflection, asking questions, validation, and moderate listening, which is they were still silent, asked fewer questions, less deep, didn't react so much, but they didn't distract them. Um, and, and across five studies, we found pretty large effect. I think it's one of the, if not the strongest, main effect I found in lab experiments when, that when speakers felt listened to well versus in a moderate level, they reported less state loneliness. So loneliness mm-hmm. when they talked about self-disclosure. So this was our, the first main finding, and we were also interested in the mechanism, like why, why does it happen, or one of the mechanisms. I'm sure there is a lot more mechanisms, but we found, and in this study, we focused on feeling autonomy and feeling connected to the mm-hmm. listener. And we found that both feeling autonomy, which means feeling uh, free to uh, self-express, and be one's true self, along with relatedness, which is feeling connected to the listener, mediated or led to the effect of listening on reduced loneliness. So basically, they thought of stories where they were rejected. This is a very vulnerable story, probably, for many of those people. And when they had, you tested them with at least two different levels of listening. And you call the one moderate, what was high, the... High quality listening. High quality listening versus moderate listening. And with the high quality listening, that's where they felt like they could really be themselves, this autonomy, and they were able to be vulnerable and they felt connected to the listener and therefore they felt less lonely. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, we always... So when you do an experiment, you take the experiment group and you compare them to a control group. So when they say an effect, I mean, let's call it good listening versus the moderate uh, listening. So these are the differences between the conditions. So the difference between a moderate listener and a good listener or listening is with good listening, it's much more active in the sense of not only paying attention, but also asking questions, encouraging, also reflecting back what they heard. Is that right? Yeah. And and there is also the differences in in the, um, the quality and also in the quantity of the listening behavior. So as you mentioned, so the, the verbal channel is much more active and also the nonverbal channel. So more uh, facial expression that convey more interest. It's not that in the moderate listening, they convey lack of interest, but still more better facial expressions, head nodding that not too much, because there was actually a recent paper showing that when, you, when people nod too much, they are perceived as inauthentic. And so my RAs don't nod their head too much, but in the right amount or in the amount that synchronizes with the listener. Body postures that you can still see via Zoom, for example, leaning towards 
versus leaning backwards. So there is there is difference in the the quality, both in the verbal and and the nonverbal channels of listening. And so for the moderate listeners, I mean, they're still listening, they're paying attention, but they're not responding as much. Yeah, they're less responsive. They're mostly silent. They do not. I, I've done many experiments with, where we had poor listening, for example, where we distracted listeners. So we're not doing it. And in this project, we did not distract. The, the listeners were not distracted. They actually gave the time allocation between the two conditions were similar. So in the moderate listening condition, they were mostly silent. They let the speakers talk. Um, and we actually, we actually, when when you look at it, for example, we ask the speakers to rate their listening perception from one to nine. So the average in most of the studies there in the moderate listening condition was above seven or oh. around seven. So it's not like I'm talking about listening that is below the midpoint of the scale, but I actually think that even the control condition was better than average. This is why I never call it average listening because one, I don't, we don't really know what's average listening. Everyone has a different perception. And when you let the other person talk without interrupting them, they actually perceive it as better than average. If, if we look at it, we, all, we always get the means uh, above the midpoint of the scale. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't interrupt and you have moderate listening, you're already having a huge impact or the perception yeah. from the speaker. But then if you even take it a notch bet, you know, higher, well, quite a bit, a few notches up, and it's more of a, it's almost what you describe as kind of like you're a partnership, but all the space is for that one person who's speaking, that that has a much deeper, bigger impact. You can even take it to another level, much higher level. Yeah, that's uh -huh. really interesting. You know, you mentioned that you have also in a lot of the research that you've done on listening, that there's a difference between managers listening versus colleagues listening and how listening is perceived yeah. and some of the studies that you've done. Um, I'd love to it's, hear more about that. It's actually not the study that I've done. Actually, it was a study that one in one of the studies, uh, Avi was involved. It was a study that was led by uh, Tiffany Critz from McEwan uh, University in Canada. I, I really liked their paper because it's a question I often received when I give talks about listening, especially in organizations. It's funny because when I got this question from my dean and he asked me, how can I be a better listener? The, the researchers in, in my uh, faculty, and I told them, you have a harder time than, any, than, than we do because you're the manager. And the reason is that when we talk about listening in asymmetric relationship, also inserting a component of agreement with a request. Usually, when we, not usually, but many times when employees talk to a manager, even if this, they have some form of a request, not most of the times, but many times. And a question I often receive is, what happens if my manager listens to me, but did not accept my request? Did they really listen to me? They looked at, into this question and they found, if my memory serves, they found that I think in, in more than 50% of the cases, employees 
perceive listening or confound, integrate listening with agreement. So you can listen well, but if you didn't comply with the request of the employee, they will not perceive you as a good listener, which is problematic. Yeah, um, that's a big problem. Yeah, it's a big problem. It's, you know, it's only one study and we need to take it in, in proportions. This is a very specific thing. They come for a request, like they want a promotion or, you know, something yeah. like this, you know, very specific request. And, or, which is a little bit, it'd be interesting to know the types of requests, you know, like, how do I do something might be different than can I get a promotion, you know, depending on the request, I could imagine. With the promotion, they might be more disappointed. I don't know where I read this, but I read somewhere that if, um, in terms of a decision made in an organization, if um, stakeholders feel like their voice was taken into consideration, they're more likely to go along with a decision that mm. they may not have chosen. I, I, I think maybe it's the work by Jane Dutton or no, mm -hmm. about how to... Uh, so Jane Dutton is a very, very well-known researcher and, and she has a paper, I think, from 97 uh, about actually how... I'm not sure, maybe this is what you mean, about how to... Sell ideas to the stakeholders. So when you mm -hmm. uh, and then she found that when the paper wasn't focused around listening, but when there is a good listening, uh, the ability to sell ideas to stakeholders is better. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe this is yeah. the one. Maybe that's the one. What I so okay. Let's let's take the tech world. And so this is, might be something in terms of some of your research. You know, things are moving fast. They have to, they have, um, they have to get feedback pretty quick. Um, you also have a lot of, you know, introverts maybe, people who don't speak out as much, you know, or, you yeah. might, or people who speak too much. I don't know. But a question I often get from leaders is they want to, you know, how do I get people to be more engaged or to let me know when they need help sooner or to get them more, to take more responsibility, especially because there's a lot of younger people in these roles, you know, that move into leadership positions fairly quickly because things are growing, yeah. you know, fast. And so one of the things that happens often is that often someone will ask, you know, how do I do this? Or I have a problem with this. And the, the manager will give them the solution right away. That's the first instinct really quick. Instead of taking time to really listen to them first and find out what they've done so far or how they've thought through the process at that time. So maybe when they do that, the feedback is, oh, when I do take time to listen, I actually, my answer is different than it would have if I would have just jumped into problem solving mode. Or the person who's describing what they're doing, they may come up with a solution in that process of being listened to. And therefore, it builds their confidence because then they get validation that what they're working on is okay or how they're thinking through things is okay, which causes them to be more engaged later. So that's also just another way to, to think about um, yeah, not only the request, are, but trying to figure things out. Yeah. I agree. Uh, people also, I, I see it from when I do listening exercises that usually people react when they think that they understood the speaker. So they tend to reply or offer an advice, I usually saying, telling you, I know what you mean, does not convey that I really know what you mean. It's like telling right. you to trust me. I can't tell you to trust me. I need to show you that you can trust me. And when I do these exercises and when I teach students or employees to, to wait before they reply, even just merely to be silent and do not react 
to go above their habits in reacting, they often discover that what that they thought that they understood the speaker in the beginning, but this was not the really, after they listened more, it's like, ah, oh, so they actually meant something different. Mm-hmm. And this is very important in, in, in building good listening between, especially in organizations. I agree with your perspective. So what would you think is, what are some key ways that you've discovered or noticed that would support listening within organizations? What would be some things that would be good for our managers or our leaders to know? I think first is awareness of the importance of listening. I've talked to many managers and even people in in important positions in business schools, and it goes back that even to the education of a future manager that most institutions do not teach how to listen. They teach how to speak. Even though listening is, is, and and there is research about it, um, at the top skills required, especially from managers who spend more than two-thirds of their day listening, but the schools, the universities do not train them in one of the most important skills in the workplace. I think it also it can also impact the mindset. So first of all, it is showing, like this is at least what I do, when you talk about the evidence of listening in organization and they see how important it is, it, it, it's the realization of how listening is important. That listening is not a passive behavior that just you're just being silent and nod your head and that's it, you listen. No, it's much more and it has much more impact on the relationship and the, and, and the effects on the organizational outcome. After they understand the importance, one thing I found in, in my training studies is the importance of cultivating climate, let's call it a listening climate, that it's not enough that the manager say says, you know, I have an open door policy. You can talk to me whenever you want. You, they need to show it. And the climate is in, in, in a large part determined by the, the leadership, like the management. What do they convey? I've seen organizations where it was terrific and it was a really pleasure to work with them. And I've seen organizations where it was horrible. And no matter how much effort you put into training the employees, you see that it doesn't really make a difference in the organization as a whole because it's like, you know, it's like putting water in the sand. You, you don't have this climate in the organization. So, and then this is from conversation I, I've had with employees in such companies. They say, okay, so I use this listening skills at home or, or but at work. The, the, the climate here is very different. And, and so this is one very important aspect of listening. So what supports a listening climate? Like, can you give me an example? Like you said, you've been, you know, also worked with organizations where it was really great. Can you give us maybe one example to get a picture of what, why there was such a difference? I'll give you an example from one of my first training studies that was a complete failure. (laughs) (laughs) We love learning from failures, right? (laughs) You know, we, we, we learn more than failure than from successes. (laughs) <laughs> so it, it was a study in a high-tech company in Israel. I invested a lot, so much money from my budget on, you know, bringing the instructor and finding a time. And they had four, four three-hour sessions. Um, and then I had RAs coming in. It's not easy to collect data, you, you know, we've been working on 
on projects on a project for a while. Getting data from employees is not easy. I had RAs staying for hours in the organization waiting until they uh, the, the engineers and the software developers are take the, their seven minutes to complete the, the surveys. Anyway, before after the final session. And the instructor was great. I know him really well, a terrific instructor. One of the employees came to me and told me this training was terrific. I learned so much. Um, I learned, like, I, I acquired such an important skill. And I was so happy. Wow, wow I'm going to get some good data. And then he said, but there is no way it's going to work here. What? Hmm. Why? And he said, because it's not part of how things work here. So basically what he was saying, like, it's not part of our climate. And, and indeed, indeed, when I looked at the data in this organization, I, I didn't find any interesting results. Like, okay, so there was nothing meaningful. And ever since then, before, at least with regard to studies, before I invest a lot of time and, and budget in an organization, I actually want to talk to the higher management to see, or, or even the employees to see what is the... If there is, uh, if the ground is prepared to to do it, I'm, I'm sure there are ways to do it even in organizations where there is a very strong hierarchy. But I think it will require much more in intensive training, and, and, and including training to the management. Right. Exactly. You know, that's one thing I've you know also noticed when you can you know depending on how, where the training is done you might get you know more entry level or mid managers on board and doing it but then if you don't have your upper management you know doing it then at that level then there's there's still a lot of challenges that can ripple down so they may be able to influence in their team these leads but they're not able to influence at a higher level because exactly. it's not happening at that level yeah exactly and they're actually not I'm, I'm not aware of very, very little research about listing training for managers. There is some evidence, but not sufficient. Right. Well, we'll get there, right? We'll get some, we'll get some going yeah. and hopefully have more information yeah, yeah. there. Yeah. We, we have something that hopefully we'll be able to publish. <laughs> you, you and I. You and I, that's right. <laughs> one of the other things that you mentioned is that one of the areas that you're really focusing on is listening in the context of disagreements, which boy, do we have a lot of disagreements going on <laughs> in the world right now. <laughs> and there's, you know, there's a lot of questions that come up. I get so many questions around this and maybe you can share some insights or what you're discovering so far on listening in the context of disagreement. I have two main projects on, on this topic. The first, which is more developed, we've run four studies so far, is examines the question of whether listening can create more constructive disagreements and whether it can facilitate an attitude change without trying to persuade the speaker. So what I'll give you an example of a study that we've done. We had participants write their attitude about COVID certificates. In Israel, it was, we were, I think, that one of the first or even the first country to employ uh, the, the certificates for a vaccination, that one has been vaccinated. 
And there were many people against, many people in favor. Participants uh, in the first phase of the study wrote whether they are in favor or against, or even if they are neutral. And then we paired them with, after a few days, we paired them with an ostensible. They knew this was a research assistant, but that um, held an opposite attitude from theirs. And then we had this, again, like I mentioned before, we randomly assigned them to a high quality or moderate quality condition. The lister did not talk so much in either condition. They just mentioned that they hold a different attitude, an opposite attitude to the speakers, to the participants. Mm -hmm. And at the end, maybe said, uh, and, and then did the listening behaviors. And then before the end of the conversation, they shared a bit more. But we have a, a diary of our a lab diary where they we have some they had some sentences for that they can say uh, regarding the topic. But it, it wasn't like an argument. It was more that for the first time, um, and I've been doing a lot about listing and attitude change. And I am I'm always very careful in in having the listener not convey any attitude. So it right. won't affect. So in experiments, it's called a, it, it's called a confound that you you don't like. They need to be really neutral. And here, for the first time, they're expressing an attitude. And what? So it's not a typical disagreement. We actually tried to do a typical disagreement. I thought in Israel, which is a, you know a very opinionated culture, I had a colleague who visited me and he wrote to me. You know, I heard Israelis are very opinionated. And then I wrote back, I disagree. <laughs> uh, it's two, two Israelis for opinions. So my ideal experiment was actually doing back and forth more, but we did some pilot testing and we found that it's very difficult with undergraduates when they don't know the other person, which was surprising for me for Israelis. But anyway, we, we returned to what we know, but they knew that the listener held a different attitude than theirs. And what we found, and, and this is, I shared the consistent effect. There are others effects who are so far less consistent. But the consistent effects are that when uh, speakers, during a, a difference of opinion or a disagreement, feel listened to, they feel a higher extent of a connection, which we measured through a very interesting construct by uh, Barbara Fredrickson. He called positivity resonance. So positivity resonance is like flow of, shared ideas, shared minds, uh, connection. Again, it's, it's, it's a measure of connection, speaking broadly, during the conversation. So we found really consistent and large effects on higher positivity resonance, uh, so higher connection with the listener. And interestingly, they also reported, this, this is not the interestingly, this is actually we found in another study, they reported higher self-insight, so they learned about themselves more, about their attitude more when they were listening in the high-quality listening condition. And with regard to their attitude, they perceived that their attitude relative to the control condition, participants in the good listening condition perceived that their attitude is more similar to the listener. So it wasn't that they changed their attitude from positive to negative, it was still from one to five, the average in the high quality listening condition was below like around two and a half. So mm -hmm. it's still, they know that they, they are not in the same attitude as the, the listener, but relative to the control condition, they're getting closer to the attitude of the speaker, though still 
different attitude. And then, and then we asked ourselves, wait, is it because they think that maybe they persuaded their listeners? Maybe this is why they think that their attitude is more similar. So we ran another study and we found that the effect was actually because they perceived that their own attitude has been changed. Again, not from positive to negative, but relative to the control condition. And the other interesting finding is that we found that their attitude became is, is becoming less extreme, less one-sided. Yeah. To sum so up, as, I know it might be complicated. Yeah. It might be complicated. Mm-hmm. It's even more complicated when I try to write it up. But <laughs> we are finding that uh, so far that listening during disagreements leads to a higher sense of connection between the, as perceived by the speaker with the listener, more knowledge about one's attitude, self-insight, and it has downstream effects on the structure of the attitude, both in perceived attitude change, so perceived similarity or perceived attitude change with the listener and less one-sided attitude. So what I hear you saying is, you know, if they have this more the high quality listening, that the speaker, knowing that this listener does not have your perspective, you know, they know that, so they, so there's something in that listening that they end up being able to listen to themselves a little bit better and hear what they're saying. And maybe that's part of, you know, hearing the different perspectives and therefore maybe complex. Yeah. 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 So this is our, the, the, the self, the construct of self insight. So like we're asking them, I learned new things about my attitude during the conversation I was able to reflect on my own thoughts uh, during the conversation, like questions that reflect like self-knowledge, exactly, more, more complexity, which I found before in a different project, but it wasn't in the context of disagreement, which is more difficult when you know that the other, that the listener shares and has an opposite edit. So this is really important if you, I'm just thinking in the business world, you kind of know your stakeholders and you know the chances of which stakeholders might, people go into a meeting knowing who might disagree with them and who might be against their idea or have other ideas. And so with this in mind, if they go in and do the listening, the effective listening, but this effective listening is more, uh, more a- active, maybe not as active as in your other study but somewhat active and you're still listening, you're still kind of probably responding somewhat, maybe a little bit of validating that the, the speaker then is more likely to be more feel connected to you and more likely to. Will be more moderate, less extreme, more moderate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then the chances of influence might be higher. Yeah. And I don't think listening can, can shift an attitude during a disagreement. So it can, but very specific circumstances. But I do think that it can create more harmony during the disagreement. Even so, so we can disagree, but we can disagree in harmony and still. Uh, and this, I think, this is the challenge nowadays. Not that the thing of that people will never think the same, and we don't want people to think the same. Uh, right. We, <laughs> yeah, we like heterogeneity is good, but the, the, the issue is, can we? Can we hold constructive conversations and positive conversations even despite the disagreements? Yeah. When you listen, you're not invisible. On the contrary, 
you actually the one who sets the tone. So this is one very important take home message from from my study from the data. I would I want to convey from this, the the data I've been observing. And the second one is after all the um, we talk a lot about the listening behaviors and and it is a complex construct, but at the end, it's about taking interest, a genuine interest in the other person. And when you take a genuine interest in the other person, it's not easy. We can do it all the time. It takes volition and effort and, and time. And of course, we can do it in every conversation. But when we do it and when we signal to our speaker that they are important and as a result, they will reciprocate back in various forms, many of which I have not explored yet empirically. But it's a resource that has so many advantages. From, from what I'm seeing so far, it doesn't cost so much to, to listen. Just really quick, can you just briefly, just briefly let, you know, you talked about you're looking at organizational outcomes in some of your research, you're looking at the organizational outcomes of listening behavior or listening training. Can you just briefly share what you're finding in terms of organ what you're or what you're looking for, what you're finding? Yeah. So in a recent paper we published in Human Resource Management, we found that um, employees who participated in listening training reported less uh, burnout or emotional exhaustion, the, the part of the emotional part of burnout and less turnover intentions. In a study that we have now, a training study that we have now under review, we, it was a longitudinal study for uh, to teachers in Israel in the north district, two schools in the northern district of Israel. We had a, they had a training of, through the entire school year, and we found that the teachers felt higher relational energy, which is like being more motivated to come to work, and more motivated socially, higher psychological safety, which is very important in organizations, and higher autonomy. So I, we ho- I hope that this paper will be accepted. It's in a, in a journal of education. So this is another organizational outcome. In the uh, about two years ago, uh, I found that when uh, in in uh, in Jenny's work, in Jenny's training, that uh, customer service employees who were trained to listen well reported less anxiety during dif- difficult conversation and felt more competent. I think this is the gist of, of training. But all of those are really, really important. Really, really yeah, important they're important and you know they cost a lot of money for the organization. Thank you so much for having this conversation again and to kind of get us up to date on a lot of the work that you're doing. There's a, you have so much going on. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Raquel. It was great talking to you. I'm your host, Raquel Arp from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy Listening In.